Welcome to the Rockefeller Center's podcast, Rocky Talk. Today we welcome Judge Beth Robinson. Judge Beth Robinson was appointed to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Second Circuit in November 2021. Prior to her appointment to the Federal Court of Appeals, she served as an Associate Justice on the Vermont Supreme Court for nearly a decade. Before her time on the bench, Robinson served as counsel to Vermont Governor Peter Shumlin for nearly a year and practiced law at Langrock-Sperry and Wool in Middlebury and Burlington, Vermont for 18 years. Her varied civil practice included workers' compensation and personal injury, employment, family, and civil rights matters. She was best known for her leadership and advocacy for the freedom to marry for same-sex couples in Vermont. Judge Robinson, welcome to the Rocky Talk podcast. Thanks so much, it's a pleasure to be here. Awesome. Uh, Well, tonight in your talk, you're hoping to dispel some misconceptions about the way judges do their jobs. So let's start out with the obvious. What is a major misunderstanding that Americans have about the job and role of a judge? I think sometimes in the debate about judges or conversations about judges, people fall into a trap where they think the law is clear and judges either get it right or they're bad activist judges who are pursuing their own agenda. And I think the reality is a lot more complicated and a lot more nuanced. And that's one of the things I do hope to talk about a little bit today. Can you give an example of a time when maybe the outcome of a case you've ruled on buffed these expectations? Oh, that's interesting. Um, I'm not, I'm, nothing is jumping right into my head. I mean, I can tell you that, you know, all of us, uh, regardless of sort of where we, where we stand in, in sort of the all of us, regardless of our perspectives, are, are doing our best to interpret the law as we see it and apply it accordingly. And in some cases, that forces you to reverse convictions of people you think were guilty because there were procedural infirmities in the process or rule in favor of parties that maybe in your personal gut you wish weren't going to win. I mean, that that's a fairly common thing, but it'd be hard for me to think of a case right now. Your talk will center around American faith in the promise of an independent judiciary. What do you think is the current state of play regarding American faith in our judiciary? You know, I think American confidence in institutions of all sorts is waning, and I think there are all sorts of reasons that folks here at the Rocky would be far better than I to, to figure out. Uh, but courts haven't been immune to that. Historically, courts have enjoyed, I think, a higher level of public confidence than some of the other major institutions or political branches. But we see that we see that fading, and um, courts, more than any other institution, rely on the confidence of the people who are subject to our rulings, because that's how they get enforced. We don't have armies. We don't uh, control purse strings. Uh, and the willingness of the people whose orders were affected by orders to abide by them is really what sustains the rule of law in our system. Do you think that there's anything that the judiciary, legislative, or executive branches could do to ensure that this confidence is preserved? I would like for us to try to talk about judges and the judicial branch in a less politicized way. It's hard because the 
the most common point of contact that people have with these conversations is through confirmation hearings, which are by definition taking place in a political realm. Um, but I think we would all benefit from dialing that down a little bit and understanding that courts are not simply another forum to play out the polarized politics that define our society these days. Yeah, and that leads kind of into my next question. You recently went through a political appointment process. Is the judiciary a political institution? Yeah, that's a that's a complicated question, and I guess I I, I don't want to do that thing where I throw a question back at you, but it, part of it depends on how you define political. Mm-hmm. Um, by design, the federal judiciary and many state judiciaries are not accountable to voters. They're not accountable anywhere to the other branches, and in that sense, I think they've been constructed to be decidedly non-political. Um, the tools that we use to decide difficult legal questions are many, but partisan loyalty is not one of them. And in that, in that sense, I don't think courts are political. We do make decisions that have broad impact on the rules people live by and uh, you know who wins conflicts. And, and so that that makes us an arm of government that, that exercises some authority. And I, so I guess it just depends on your, mm-hmm. your definition of political. Yeah, you mentioned that the court oftentimes instantaneously can change the rules by which people live. Um, recently, there have been conversations about forum shopping and individual federal district court judges making sweeping decisions like the recent mask mandates decision. Um, and I'm curious, both as a, a lawyer and a judge, what your perspective is on this forum shopping. Yeah, so it's forum shopping combined with a tool called nationwide injunctions. And I think I, I, I think the pros and cons of, of using that tool, the nationwide injunction, there's a lot of them. But, but, but the one thing that I would say is in having the conversation, I think it's important for folks to step away from their particular loyalties or feelings about the individual choice judgments we're looking at, right? The nationwide injunctions were a tool, for example, that we saw used during the Trump administration, and they were used to um, create a nationwide response and, 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 and that in, in some cases blocked things. And, and we're seeing the same thing here. And so I, I, I don't think that, that the conversation about nationwide injunctions breaks down on any sort of party line basis, mm-hmm. um, except in a very sort of narrow focus of like who, whose ox is gored today. Um, and I think I think it's a tool that that, that um, has its use. I'm I'm new enough to this, and I haven't yet experienced um, coming out of the state system. I haven't yet had an opportunity to review a district court ruling that um, imposes a nationwide injunction. So I haven't fully developed my thinking about it in a practical setting. Mm-hmm. Some questions surrounding the like political nature of the judiciary. 
rest on the belief that because the legislative and executive branches, i.e. the rest of our politics, have become so polarized, the judiciary is becoming responsible for answering political questions. Um, and I'm curious if you think that is the case or if you think the, judi the judiciary is continuing to rule based on precedent on legal questions and legal doctrine. Yeah, I mean, remember, courts don't decide what conflicts arise and, and get litigated. I mean, people people bring cases to the courts. Courts don't go looking for them. Um, and ultimately, any question that would be cognizable by a court has a legal uh, footing. So I guess I'd be reluctant to sort of make a generalization about courts um, you know, there are certainly legal questions that have political ramifications or are of of interest in the political realm as well. So I don't know that I'm completely answering your question, probably the way you posed it, but by and large, courts still decide legal issues using the tools that we have at our disposal. Yeah. One reason why... Um... The independent judiciary maintains its relevance and importance is because of its role in executing the rule of law between the executive and the legislative branch often and i'm wondering if you think that the rule of law in this country is under threat and if the judiciary is prepared and willing to combat that threat yeah so i think the the, the biggest threat to our system of rule of law the two biggest threats would be if courts stopped doing what courts are designed to do. And I think the second biggest threat would be if people stop respecting the decisions that courts make, because then you have chaos. And, and that, to me, uh, would be a disastrous scenario for our constitutional democracy. And so I think as courts, we, we have a responsibility to continue to use the tools at our disposal in interpreting and applying the law and do it in a way that communicates to the broader community that we're not simply another forum for playing out the partisan um, conflicts that rack our society. And, and, you know, truth be told, 99.9% of the cases that come to courts don't involve the ideological divides that, that we're struggling with on a, on a political and social level in our, in our country. And yet they're very important. And they're the, they're the foundation, the framework of the rule of law that we depend on. And every individual conflict that we decide, whether it's between individuals and the government, which would be all of the criminal justice system and lots of the civil justice system, or between individuals or, or entities, um, they depend on an independent and neutral judiciary that's not beholden to the political branches. And um, so I think we need to do a better job of communicating the full range of what courts do and how we do it. Yeah, I think mm -hmm. that's, that's the responsibility I feel as a judge. Awesome. Um, and then the final question I have has to do with Kind of in your daily work as a judge you're often interacting with your personal clerks and i'm curious 
How do you go about deciding who are the clerks that you want to be working with? What is that relationship like on a working level? Um, it is, is it important for you to have a range of political perspectives on the uh, geographic perspectives? How do you kind of assemble that team? Yeah, you know, that's a really good question. And um, for a decade, I was a justice on the Vermont Supreme Court, and I only had one law clerk. Mm -hmm. And um, so it was a very uh, sort of intimate work relationship in the sense that everything I did, my law clerk was was involved in it and we, we were in constant touch and um, uh, in terms of choosing it, it was very different from assembling a team mm -hmm. right and so I looked for really smart people who were committed to doing good work uh, I think I didn't scream for things like political outlook or things like that I think self-selection especially you know at that time I was coming out of a career being known as a gay rights advocate, mm. um, I think that I attracted a lot more interest from people who were more progressive leaning. Because of that, I think I came to their attention. Um, in my new role uh, on the Federal Appeals Court, I've only hired, well, I, I, the, the group that I started with were cobbled together from people that I knew from clerking uh, from my, my last life. And then we've hired one group that will start in the fall and I'm still sort of trying to figure it out because it, it is very different. You don't want four people with the same profile. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I don't expect to apply an ideological screen. Um, I imagine self-selection will have some impact, but I, you know, we get hundreds and hundreds of applicants. So I can't say, you know, there, there's a huge element of chance only in the sense that You've got to screen that down. You can't interview 250 people and, mm -hmm. and you make judgments based on the information you have. Um, but I've just been, I've been so impressed by your, your generation. People are just so impressive, you know, in addition to doing well in your studies, you're, you're all involved in so many other things. And I, I detect a real generational commitment to doing good and uh, using the skills and, and, and privilege and opportunities that many have to um, affect positive change. And I, I think that's wonderful. Well, on that note, I want to say thank you so much to Judge Beth Robinson for joining me today on the Rocky Talk podcast. And thank you to all of you for tuning in. podcast is a production of the Nelson A. Rockefeller Center for Public Policy and the Social Sciences. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers and not of the Rockefeller Center. This episode was produced and edited by Laura Hemlock. I hope you'll join us for our next episode. If you want more information, you can find us at rockefeller.dartmouth.edu.
um, in Bill Cosby.